This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and alcohol and drug use by teenagers. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 241. Greetings, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the creator and head author of the Metamorph City Story Universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you. Each week, I bring you a new piece of my writing, available in audio for the first time anywhere. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 14 in my Metamore City erotic fantasy, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Kate and John have been recruited to help one of her father's students, the Skyball Captain Chase Tomley. Chase has been suffering from a mystery illness that is threatening his prospects for graduation. He nearly died last spring, and while he's doing better now, he continues to suffer from unexplained bouts of fatigue and debilitating headaches. Sam fears that Chase might have been placed under some kind of curse. John and Kate went with Sam to the team's homecoming game, hoping that a look at Chase's aura would reveal the cause of his illness. It did, but it wasn't what they were expecting. Chase is an incubus who hasn't completed his metamorphosis. His Daedra half is starving, subsisting on tiny amounts of life mana released by the pleasure of the people around him. When John met the young man after the game, he realized why. Chase's human side is completely closed off to the ethos of Suspira, the mother of all incubi and succubi, and the goddess of lust and fertility. He's deliberately abstaining from any kind of sexual contact, and it's killing him. John and Kate also met Emily Bell, a college student who grew up with Chase and helped take care of him during his illness. Unlike Chase, Emily was extremely open to Suspira's ethos. John fed her a bit of divine essence, and her aura accepted it hungrily, like it was something she had experienced before and had been desperately trying to find again. Emily also positively sparkles with life mana. Call it charisma or animal magnetism, but she's one of those people with an abundant supply of it. The combination of large mana reserves and sexual receptivity made Emily irresistibly attractive to John, and also to Kate, who has been temporarily transformed into a succubus after absorbing a huge chunk of John's essence. Kate's control over her new powers is still shaky, and as she and John flirted with Emily, Kate sent a large pulse of essence running through the girl, pushing her into an even more sexually receptive frame of mind. Kate gave Emily her phone number, in case she wants to meet up with her and John later for some fun. Emily promised to get in touch soon. 
Right now, she and Chase have a party to get to. After Emily left, John warned Kate that if they're going to play with Emily, Kate needs to take some precautions. Her birth control implant only protects her from getting pregnant. If Kate really has become a succubus, then she has the power to impregnate Emily. Before their adventures progress any further, Kate needs to see a wizard about an amulet. Homecoming, A Tale of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 14 Back at the house, Kate and John bade her father good night, then climbed into John's skimmer and headed back toward Ellentown. The first magic shop they visited was sold out of the extra-strength male birth control charms, but the second one had a nice selection of mithril core amulets to choose from. Kate selected a bracelet of sterling silver with inlays of malachite. It was a simple, attractive unisex design, with no obvious clues to its arcane purpose. Listen, I have an implanted amulet for female birth control, Kate told the wizard who ran the shop. Is that going to interfere if I use them together? The wizard, to his credit, did not bat an eye at the question. No, this is the same weave they use on charms in Metamore. It's guaranteed androgyne compliant. Cool, Kate said. I'll take it. The amulet was about 50% more expensive than what they would have paid in the city, but Kate insisted on paying the full cost herself. You paid for the outfit, she said. I got myself into this as much as you did. It's only fair that it cost me something. The shopkeeper was looking back and forth between them now with interest. You know, if you're dealing with some kind of magical mishap, I do offer dispelling services. John turned away from the man, hiding his smirk. Dispelling part of a goddess, he thought. That's going to be a lot harder than you think, my friend. Kate, though, just smiled at the wizard. Thanks for the offer, but I think I'm going to let it run its course. It's been fun. And, um, eye-opening. You wouldn't be the first, the wizard agreed. Have a good night, miss. Back in the skimmer, John started the engine as Kate fastened the amulet around her wrist. He checked the clock. Even with all the driving around, it was only about 11.30. All right, precautions taken, he said. Where to now? Kate pulled out her phone, flicked over to the messaging app, and let out a small sound of triumph. (laughs) Emily texted me. She wants us to meet her at that party they mentioned. She showed John the address on her screen. John raised his eyebrows, but he punched in the address on the nav computer. The suggested route popped up a few seconds later, and he lifted the skimmer off the ground and started in the direction indicated. Aren't a couple of old people going to look out of place at a college party? Excuse you, I'm only 29, Kate retorted, and you're so damned pretty nobody's gonna care. John took her hand and kissed it briefly. Flatterer. Besides, Kate said, it's a good chance to see Chase and Emily on their own turf, earn their trust. Maybe they'll open up more than they would with my parents around. John shot her a wicked smile. 
I think we both know what kind of opening up you're hoping for. Kate blushed. Well, yeah, that too. She looked down at her new amulet and fell silent for a while, rolling the links of the bracelet back and forth over her wrist. John drove in silence and let her think. Thinking was good. Thinking might prevent any more close calls like the ones they'd had earlier. This... this power you have, Kate said at last. This essence. It feels so damned good, John. Being the center of attention, knowing you could have just about anybody you wanted. It's a fucking rush. And when I had sex with Henri and started taking his life mana? She shook her head in amazement. There are hardcore drugs that don't feel that good. John reached over and took her hand. After I changed, after I stopped being terrified and learned how to control it, I kind of lost my mind for a while. All I could think about was finding the next conquest, the next meal. And that's exactly what Mistress Jasmine wanted. She taught me how to be sneaky, and how to avoid hurting anyone so I didn't get in trouble with the Lightbringers. But other than that, she turned me loose. I didn't think about consequences. I didn't think about how my partners might feel afterwards. I saw what I wanted, and I took it. Kate nodded thoughtfully. Her fingers tightened around John's hand. I don't want to turn into that. But I'm worried that I'm... losing perspective, I guess. I mean, fucking a college student? I never would have done that before. I know it's legal, but is it okay? She took off her hat, ran her free hand through her hair. It was a nervous tick John had seen a hundred times before, but this time she paused as her fingers ran over the two little horns above her forehead. She rubbed the skin around the base of one of the horns. John knew how good that felt, and she let out a little sigh of pleasure. The sound seemed to catch her by surprise. There isn't a simple answer to that question, John said. I fucked a lot of different people, and I can tell you, maturity doesn't have a lot to do with age. But this isn't even about maturity. Not really. It's about influence. Kate stopped touching her horn then, and turned to look at him. He had her attention. Good. Emily's receptive to our power he said. That means she's suggestible. If you use your essence on her again, she'll probably agree to anything you ask her to do. You'll make her feel fantastic, you'll get a good meal, and, because I know you, you'll be kind and gentle with her afterwards. She probably won't have any regrets. She'll probably think it was her idea. But you'll know she did it because you made her want it. He paused a moment to let that sink in. Now, is that okay? Jasmine would say yes. She'd say that if Emily didn't want it, she wouldn't be receptive to our essence. We can't make someone do something that's against their nature. On the other hand, Morgan would say you should hold back, get her consent before you use your power on her, talk out your boundaries, make sure her brain is on board with her libido. He shrugged. I'll be honest, I've done it both ways and a lot of shades in between. But like I said, I haven't always been a good person, and even good people can usually rationalize something if they want it bad enough. 
especially if they need it to survive. Kate grimaced and looked away. Yeah, she murmured. She didn't say anything else, and John let her process, turning his attention back to driving. It took another ten minutes or so to get to the party's location, a large house on a couple of hectares of land outside of town. John could hear the thudding of dance music even through the closed cockpit of the skimmer. Kate looked out the windshield at the house, and John could sense her conflicting emotions. Excitement, lust, anticipation, self-doubt, uncertainty, fear. We don't have to stay, John reminded her. If it's too much, we can go back to your parents. Or hells, we can go all the way back to Metamore and ask Miss Fallon to undo this. You always have a choice. Kate smiled then, a quiet, grateful, and humbled expression. She fingered her new amulet for a moment, then said, You are a good man, John. I don't care what you say. She leaned over and kissed him softly on the lips, then looked straight into his eyes. If you can be good with this power inside you, then I can too. Just help me make good choices, okay? John cupped her cheek in one hand, ran his thumb softly across her chin. I'll do my best, he said. The long driveway was lined on both sides with skimmers and ground cars, and John and Kate had to walk a few hundred meters to reach the front door. The ground floor was packed with people, most of them young and attractive. They clustered in groups of varying size, in doorways and on furniture, on staircases, and in piles of pillows on the floor. The dining room had been converted into a dance floor, and hot, sweaty bodies were shimmying, bumping, and grinding to the beat of the all-pervasive music. Smoke from nicotine and cannabis hung thick in the air, mixing with the output from a fog machine. Most of the lights were off, but some had been covered with colored cellophane, painting different rooms in shades of red, green, or blue. A strobe light near the dance floor added to the general feeling of sensory overload. Kate pulled out her phone and typed a message to Emily. We're here. Where are you guys? The response came about half a minute later. Out on the deck by the kitchen, followed by a smiley face. John and Kate picked their way through a crowded sitting room and skirted the edge of the dance floor to arrive at the kitchen. There was an impressive amount of counter space, which was crammed with an equally impressive amount of snacks and alcohol. The latter would have been a red flag in Metamore, where the drinking age was 21, but the central provinces were less restrictive about such things. A folding table against one wall held stacks of mostly empty plates and serving trays, attesting to the damage a house full of hungry young people had already inflicted. On the kitchen table stood a punch bowl large enough to drown a small child. John could smell the alcohol in it from halfway across the room. Kate ladled some of the punch into a plastic cup. John, as the one driving, decided to stick to soda. A large wooden deck was connected to the kitchen by a glass sliding door. A small group of young people had gathered there under a patio heater, most of them holding cups of punch or bottles of beer. Emily stood nearest to the door, and she waved excitedly at John and Kate when she spotted them. 
They joined her outside, and she gave them each a quick hug and greeting. I'm so glad you can make it, she cried. She briefly introduced Kate and John to the other people in the circle. Two of them were fellow Badger alumni from the school's track and field team, and one was a current classmate of Emily's at St. Marais. The last two were Chase, who looked vaguely uneasy, and one of his teammates from the Badger's skyball team, who was holding a half-full cup of punch and wobbling visibly. Hey, Chase said, raising a can of soda to John in a salute. Nice to see I'm not the only one who's not getting sloshed tonight. John tapped his soda can against Chase's. Designated driver solidarity, he agreed. Chase is always the designated driver, Emily said, in a playfully teasing tone. He's a good boy. Kate raised her cup to Emily. Guess that makes us the designated drinkers. Emily laughed, raising her own punch in return, and the two women drank together. So I was trying to remember where I'd seen you before, Emily said, and then I realized I've walked by your picture about a hundred times. You were the Badger's captain back in 88. Chase's teammate stared at Kate, his eyes wide. No way. That's you with the big-ass trophy in the display case? Kate smiled modestly and gave a little bow. Hey, we all earned that trophy. I was just one player. Emily grinned. Just one player who won league MVP. You were so good. Why'd you quit playing? I got hurt, Kate admitted. She took a long drink from her punch. Senior year of uni. We were playing for the Imperial Championship, and I took a bad fall. Screwed up my knee. She tapped the side of her right leg. I was in physical therapy for months, so I missed the draft for the ISL. After that, I had other stuff to worry about. Emily made a sympathetic face, sucking in air between her teeth. That sucks. I'm sorry I brought it up. It's all right, Kate said. It was a long time ago. I found other ways to get my adrenaline fix. Like what? Chase asked. Kate grinned. Well, I do swoop racing, for one. No way, Emily said, her eyes lighting up. Did you see the flame-out movies? Is it like that? Kate waggled her hand. A little bit. Less shooting and fewer explosions. The gangster parts are pretty close, though. You know the bit in Flame Out 3 where the mob boss tries to make them throw the race? One time I broke up a racket like that. Emily squealed and wrapped her arm around Kate's. Oh my god, you have to tell me everything. Kate happily obliged and began regaling the students with stories of her adventures. She was a chatty extrovert even under normal circumstances, and the alcohol made her even more expansive. John faded back out of the circle and went inside, letting Kate have the spotlight. He preferred a more intimate sort of conversation anyway. He found a chair at the edge of the dance floor and sat for a while, watching the young people twist and shake and grind against one another. There was a noticeable amount of sexual energy in the room, and he opened himself up to it, absorbing some of the ambient life mana. He couldn't make a meal this way, but it was a little like doing a wine tasting, sampling a lot of different flavors to see what suited his palate. He took note of a few especially attractive people whom he might try to approach later. He was surprised when Chase came up and sat down beside him. 
John hadn't felt him coming, and as he looked at him, he could understand why. Chase's aura was completely closed off, emotionally and psychically guarded. That meant that his essence was locked down as well, unable to feed even in the fragile, tenuous way it had earlier. He met John's eye and nodded to him in respect, a gesture John returned. But when he turned back to look at the dance floor, his expression was wary. John leaned in a little closer to Chase's ear. This isn't your scene, is it? It was more an observation than a question. Chase shook his head. Not really. Why'd you come? The corner of Chase's lip turned up. For Emily. She loves this crap. John nodded in understanding. And you make sure she's safe. Chase grimaced. Yeah, she doesn't always make the best choices at stuff like this. I make sure she doesn't get hurt. I know how that goes, John said. Chase smirked. <laughs> yeah, I think Emily and your friend have some stuff in common. He hesitated a moment, then added, So are you two dating, or? We are, but we're not exclusive, John said. He spoke casually, so as to emphasize how normal his and Kate's arrangement was though he suspected this was the first time an adult had ever talked to Chase about such things. We both have a pretty high sex drive, and we're bisexual, so... He shrugged. Variety's a good thing for some people. It works for us. Chase shook his head in amazement, then took a long drink from his soda. I can't even imagine. John affected a look of mild surprise. So you and Emily aren't... Chase blushed a little. No, we're just really good friends. Huh. It was at least half a lie, John was sure, but he wasn't going to get to the truth by pushing the kid. They watched the dancers for a while longer. John spotted a familiar figure in the crowd. Janet Vickers, the captain of the team Chase's Badgers had beaten earlier tonight. She moved across the dance floor with more elegance and control than most of the people around her, showing the same athletic grace she had displayed on the court. The colored lights glistened off a sheen of sweat on her dark skin. Her long, tight braids whipped dramatically around her as she twirled and spun. John glanced aside at Chase. He had noticed Janet, too, and was watching her with obvious admiration. Curious, John sent out a tendril of essence toward the woman, brushing lightly over her aura. Janet's aura accepted the touch, absorbing a small amount of the lustful energy. She was not as open to Suspira's influence as Emily had been, but she clearly had the healthy sex drive of the average teenager. The song ended, and Janet turned in a circle, scanning the crowd around her. Subconsciously, she knew she had caught someone's attention— even if she couldn't have explained why. Her eyes fell on Chase, and she smiled wryly. She strode over to where he and John sat, her hips swaying with every step. Hey, Chase, she said in greeting. Her voice was warm, deep, and rich. Can I have a sip of that? I worked up a thirst out there. Chase cleared his throat and fidgeted, apparently nervous. Uh, sure, he said and handed the can of soda to her. Great game tonight. You were amazing. Janet smiled over the lip of the can at him as she drank. 
you had some nice moves yourself. I'll bet you look good on a dance floor. Chase ducked his head sheepishly. I wish. I'm a terrible dancer. Ah, oh, too bad. She passed the can back to him and winked. Maybe you should try dancing with the tall girl sometime. <laughs> Maybe. The two teenagers looked at each other for a long moment, long enough that it turned awkward. Another song started up, a slower, sultrier number, perfect for couples. Chase said nothing further. He seemed almost comically unsure of himself. Janet forced another smile. Well, have fun. You too, Chase said, smiling back. Janet turned and danced her way back into the crowd. Chase watched her go, and from the extra way Janet wiggled her butt as she left, John guessed that she knew it, too. That's a fine young woman, John observed. She sure is, Chase sighed, with what sounded like a longing. Damned good player, too. She likes you, John observed. Chase looked surprised. You think so? Heroically, John resisted the urge to roll his eyes. Chase, she practically begged you to come dance with her. Chase's brow creased in thought, and then his eyes went wide as a chain of synapses belatedly started firing. Oh. Oh, crap. I didn't... He looked back at the dance floor with a dismayed expression. Chase, go, John urged. Just go ask her to dance. I promise she will say yes. Chase rose to his feet, set down his drink, took a step out onto the floor, then hesitated. He looked back over his shoulder, out at the deck. The other young people had moved on, but Kate and Emily were deep in conversation, their bodies close together. We'll look out for Emily, John promised. She'll be fine. Go, have fun. That finally seemed to do the trick. Chase took a deep breath, squared his shoulders, and headed out toward Janet. She was a head taller than most of the dancers around her, and easily visible through the crowd. John sent another, stronger dose of essence in her direction. She soaked it up readily, as did several of the other dancers in his line of fire. He wished he could give some to Chase. At the very least, it might help him loosen up a little. But his aura still wasn't in a receptive state. Chase approached Janet and said something. Her grin was a flash of white teeth in the dim light. She stepped in close, said something in return, and then they slipped their arms around each other and began to dance. Chase had been unfair in assessing his own ability. Though he may not have known any formal dance steps, he had a natural sense of rhythm, and he moved easily in time with the music and his partner. He and Janet gazed into each other's eyes, and for the first time since they'd left the stadium, Chase looked happy. The ball's in your zone now, kid, John thought. If dancing with a pretty girl doesn't make you want to fuck, I don't know what more I can do for you. And that's the end of Chapter 14. Come back next time, when John, Kate, and Emily meet up for some fun, only to find that trouble has followed them to the party. Ernest Hemingway said, All good books are alike, in that they are truer than if they really happened. And after you are finished reading one, you feel that it all happened to you, 
and after which it all belongs to you. So let's see how my quest for literary truth is going this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of July 11th through July 17th. I wrote 3,110 words this week, over the course of 4.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 732 words per hour. As of Friday night, I have gone 91 days without breaking my chain. This week I took a break from writing Honor Bound for a few days, and focused on preparing and recording scripts for this podcast. I've decided to build up my episode buffer a bit more, to make sure that the podcast will keep coming out consistently in the event that I get sick or decide to go on vacation. My new studio is a much nicer place to record than the closet of our old apartment, so standing for long stretches of time in front of the microphone is a lot less burdensome than it used to be. I'm hoping that I can get the rest of Homecoming recorded and submitted to Audible in time for it to be available for American Thanksgiving. I don't know if I'll reach that goal or not, but I think it's worth aiming for. We have a returning patron on the Patreon campaign this month. Please welcome back Craig. If you like what I'm doing on this show and want to help me keep making it, becoming a patron is the very best way to support me. For just $3 a month, you'll get access to the first draft of Honor Bound as I'm writing it, along with sneak peeks, cover reveals, character bios, and other fun stuff. Plus, all patrons get access to my behind-the-episode commentaries, and to exclusive bonus art from talented Metamore City artists. This week, Carol Foote released her fifth illustration for A Wizard Family Solstice. You can see a preview at the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group, but to see the whole image, you'll have to become a patron. To get started, head over to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester and make a pledge today. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.